Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Sam Gutierrez, and it's good to be with you this morning. I'm excited to preach from Revelation 5, verse 1 through 14. You can turn to it on your, in your pew Bible on 1752. 1752, you can also pull out your favorite Bible app. If you have your phone or a tablet or something, you can look it up. Revelation 5, verse 1 through 14, of course, the words are going to be on the screen. I'm excited to continue our sermon series in the book of Revelation. Like Stefan said last week, we haven't really preached on Revelation much, so I hope you're enjoying it. It's a challenge for us as preachers, so you're seeing us uh, struggle a little bit, which is good. Uh, Revelation 5, verse 1 through 14. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Stephen mentioned last week while he introduced our sermon series in the book of Revelation, unveiling is really the right word to describe the book and the sermon series. A few weeks ago, my wife Kelly and I went to go see a Broadway show in Grand Rapids, Ain't Too Proud to Beg. Was anyone else there? Raise your hand. Okay, a few people, awesome. Uh, the Life and Times of the Temptations. I don't know if you've heard it, but 
It was an amazing show, and near the end, just when you thought you were seeing everything there is to see, a final screened curtain rises, and what you thought was the back of the stage revealed another layer. And behind that layer was a whole band, and they were dressed in white, and they were playing white instruments, playing some of The Temptations' greatest hits. I remember thinking to myself, that was cool. I had no idea that a band was even back there. And that is, if you can picture that scene a little bit in your head, that is the nature of the book of, the Re of Revelation. Just when you think you know what's going on, there is an unveiling, a revealing, another deeper layer of reality is exposed, and you actually get a new perspective about what is really going on. The word apocalypse means unveiling or revealing, hence the word revelation. So, the book could be described as um, pulling back the curtain over and over again and revealing a series of what you might think of kind of live action scenes. And just when you think you know what's going on, the book of Revelation will pull back the curtain and reveal another truer layer, another scene uh, is revealed. You get a sense of what's really going on. So this morning, I want to take you to two rooms. One is here in our passage this morning. We'll explore this room, God's presence in this room. And then we'll shift to another room, a room that's actually not too far from here, just a few blocks away. So we're going to look at the unveiling of the presence of the living Jesus in two different rooms this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I am actually really, really, really bad at math. Uh, I remember as a kid sitting down with my dad on the couch while he helped me with my homework. Every week, I had to do a magazine filled with math problems called Math Magazine. It's the worst magazine ever. <laughs> Does anyone else do Math Magazine? Does that sound familiar? Maybe it's a California thing. I don't know. So when I see the words this morning in our passage, angels surrounding the throne, 10,000 times 10,000, I was quick to pull out my trusty phone calculator. Um, thanks to whoever invented that. Appreciate it. 10,000 times 10,000 is? 1 million. 1 million. 1 million angels is what John sees. But the author isn't so interested in the exact amount of angels. In fact, the phrase is used to convey just a really, really, really big number. It's like, it's like today when we want to convey like a really insane number, we don't say 10,000 times 10,000. What we'll say is a kajillion or a bazillion. And that's just a made-up number to just so, so much, so many and so John says there was a kajillion angels surrounding the throne. And at the center of the throne is a lamb. The lamb is alive, but it looks as though it has been slaughtered. And only the lamb is able to open the scroll and break the seven seals on the outside of the scroll. In his vision, John sees a scroll. Now, we don't use scrolls today, but in those times when an important message was to be delivered, it was written on a piece of parchment paper and then rolled up and sealed with a wax seal, and some, in some cases to verify 
the author of the scroll a signet ring. So if a king had a signet ring, he would press it into the warm wax. And if the seal's broken, then the letter has been opened. Now, we have kind of a version of this today. Instead of wax seals, we have envelopes that you lick. And that ensures that the contents remain private. And then sometimes, for even extra security, mail will be hand-delivered and you have to sign for them. It's a modern-day version of a seal. Extra security to make sure that the one sending the mail and the one receiving the mail are verified. So what is written on this scroll? Our passage doesn't tell us, but many biblical scholars have commented that what is written on the scroll is the history and the future of everything. All things, past, present, and future. Everything from how it all began and how it all will end and everything in between. And so why is the Lamb the only one who's worthy to open the scroll? Well, who in our passage is worthy to see, to know, and to comprehend that kind of knowing? Who's big enough? Who's wise enough? Who is humble enough to hold the universe in the palm of their hand? Our passage tells us only Jesus. Only Jesus is humble enough, having laid down his life, the lamb who was slaughtered. Only Jesus is wise enough with seven eyes, meaning that only Jesus sees fully and completely, seven being a number of completeness. Only Jesus sees completely. And with seven horns, signifying the authority given by God, God's chosen one. Only Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, A to Z, who was and is and is to come. This picture of Jesus is big. It's really big. Remember back in Epiphany a few months ago, as the identity of Jesus is being revealed, from the baby born in the manger to the transfigured Jesus on the mountaintop, the king of heaven and earth, well, now in Revelation, the curtain is pulled back, and we see Jesus, who is still even more. He's not only the king of heaven and earth, he's the Lord of all space and time. He's the king of the past, the present, and the future. And so John here in this book, draws a contrast to what these persecuted and scared Christians are feeling. Remember, he's writing a letter to Christians who are struggling, who are being persecuted. They're under the oppressive thumb of the Roman emperor who is systematically killing them, killing Christians. The emperor Domitian, who sits on a throne in Rome, surrounded, a different picture, surrounded by powerful people, surrounded by scholars and philosophers and politicians and advisors and servants, who surround the throne, surround Domitian, and sing out the praises of Domitian, singing a song about his power and his authority to speak words and effect change in Rome, its territories, and even the outer edges of the Roman Empire. And so John writes to these Christians and reminds them that, yes, Domitian's real, he has real power, but Domitian is only one word on the scroll 
of all of human history. This isn't to diminish the real fear that those Christians felt, but by pulling back the curtain, John intends to put their lives and their circumstances into perspective. We have good language to kind of think about this today. It's called zooming in and zooming out. Truth is, we live most of our lives zoomed in. We live zoomed in on our own lives because we're living them. We're immersed in our everyday decisions and our circumstances. This is just honestly just a part of what it means to be a human being, is that we don't see it all. We live one moment at a time, one day at a time. And so all the fears and all the anxieties and all the thoughts and all the feelings that flow in and out of each day can actually make us, and a lot of us experience this on a daily basis, if not by a moment by moment, makes us feel untethered. We feel adrift. We can't seem to find our footing. And so John here, he's helping us to pause for a moment so that we can zoom out. Zoom out and try to get a wider and broader perspective. In fact, zooming out doesn't change your, your current circumstances, whatever they may be, or discount what's going on in your life. Instead, zooming out just gives you a different perspective. So let's zoom out. Meditate on this wide-angle picture. And when we zoom out, we see a picture of Jesus who sits on the throne, crucified, risen, who sees all, and has all authority to hold human history in his hands, which includes you and your life and your history and your future. What John is saying is, you're in good hands. Although your present circumstances have you sometimes teetering on the edge, you're in good and safe hands. You're in the hands of Jesus. It's a wonderful image. This image of Jesus is epic. It's big. It's almost, it's almost too big. In fact, no matter how far back we stand and no matter how wide the lens, we have a hard time comprehending what's going on in this scene. And because of that, the comfort that it intends to offer. It doesn't always filter down into our hearts to settle our spirit, to calm our fear and our everyday anxieties. So let me pull the curtain back on another scene. Let's move to a, a different room, a second room, where Jesus is also present. Jack is a member of this congregation but you won't see him here on a Sunday morning. He's also not participating with us online. Jack is 98 years old. His body's tired. He's nearly blind. He can't hear very well either. He lives at home with his adult daughter who watches over him and helps take care of him. Two weeks ago, two elders, Jan Van Drie and Don Vandenberg, and I went to go visit Jack. Sometimes I wish I could pull the curtain back on the church, on Alger Park Church, because there's so much good work that happens during the week 
So often, here's how I like to think about it. So often people come to church like you did this morning. But for many folks, many of our homebound members struggling with illness and age, they don't go to church. The church goes to them. And so we knocked on Jack's door, and his daughter Kathy answered and, and let us in. And then we passed through the small kitchen and took our places around an oval kitchen uh, table to visit and talk, and then to have communion together. I have this little, probably haven't seen it, but a little portable communion set that I take with me to various homes and apartments. Uh, when we visit Jack, he'll often spontaneously testify to the goodness of Jesus in his life. After he shares, I often say to him, I say, Jack, what you just did, we call that a testimony. Jack likes to give spontaneous testimonies. So I'm going to share with you one of the stories that Jack told us as we gathered around his kitchen table. By the way, I did call Jack this week and asked if I could share this story, and he was very happy for you to hear it as well. Like I mentioned, Jack struggles with his health. He's nearly blind, nearly deaf. And as you can imagine, sometimes this causes some struggle and some difficulty along with what comes with that, like a lot of fear and anxieties. And especially at night when Jack lays down to go to sleep. I know that many of us can relate to that when things quiet down in the evening, when we're exhausted and when we lay down to go to sleep, that's when our mind starts spinning. Our heartbeat speeds up and we feel unsettled, afraid, troubled, scared. Jack was having those same feelings as he laid there in the dark. And then some words came to his mind. The first word that seemed to come out of nowhere, rising from some unconscious place, was the word John. Jack laid there for a little while with that word, a bit puzzled and confused, and then something else came into his mind. This time, it was a number, six. Jack thought to himself, that's strange. He waited, and then another number came, 20. Jack laid in his bed and pieced together the clues he had been given. John, six. 20. Now remember, Jack can barely walk, he can't see, and so thinking this might be a Bible verse, he wasn't able to turn on his light, page through his Bible, and, and he couldn't look anything up. So he did his best to kind of hold on to the three words he had been given, John 6, 20. In the morning, his daughter Kathy got him up dressed and sitting at the table in his wheelchair, Jack began to tell Kathy what had happened to him last night. John 6, 20. Kathy reached for the Bible sitting on the table and looked up the passage. They were astonished to read. The word of Jesus to the disciples on a stormy sea and the word of Jesus to Jack in the darkness, riding his own waves of anxiety and fear. John 6, 20. 
the words of Jesus, it is I, do not be afraid. This is the presence of Jesus in two rooms. The lamb worthy to open the scroll of human history surrounded by a bajillion angels. When we zoom out, it's a wide-angle lens that the whole picture can be summed up with the words, he's got the whole world in his hands. And this is the presence of Jesus in a room not too far from here. Jesus, the one who comes to us in the darkness of our everyday fears and anxieties, whispering to our hearts, it is I. Do not be afraid. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us. So often we just, we can't sense you, we can't feel you. We wonder if you're really there. Seeing this picture of you sitting on the throne, it's inspiring. We need you to walk with us in the everyday moments of our lives. Hold us in your hands. Remind us of your care. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.